0: You are listening to a message from City Church located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. For more information on City Church or for additional resources, including service times, recommended readings, and additional audio, please visit citychurchpa.org. with us last week, we had a guest speaker for our eight-year anniversary, and he shared a little bit about his football career. He played at the University of Georgia and then a little bit for the 49ers, and so I thought it made sense for me to start by talking about my football career, (laughs) and so I played for four years at the Canton area junior-senior high school. And while I was there, for three of those years, yes, thank you, for three of those years, I was the first string, the starting holder for the kicker. <laughs> and then, yeah, thank you, thank you very much. If you don't know what that is, that's the person that, that holds the ball while the kicker kicks it into the, 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 the field goal. But in all seriousness... If if you were ever to go to a Canton football game, which you should, by the way, you'll notice that every player on their way into the stadium, there's this, this monument right next to the, the gate that goes into the, the field. And it's a brick monument, and it has a football on the top of it, and it's called Victory Rock. And every player that walks through will, will tap on the football and then tap on the plaque that's on the front as they're going into the the field before the game. And that monument was built a number of years ago in memory of two very talented football players that were tragically killed in a car accident. And so before every football game at Canton High School, the athletes are reminded that this could be the last game that they ever play. And they're even reminded that this could be the last day that they're alive. And it's a sobering reminder for them as they go into each game. And this passage that we're going to be going through today is a sobering reminder for us. It's a sobering reminder of how serious sin is. That sin is not something that is to be toyed with. That it's something that's very serious against God and so we will be looking at three different things about sin from this passage we will see how sin severs our relationship from God we will then see how sin results in death and then we will see how sin requires a sacrifice and before I continue why don't I just pray for our time Heavenly Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So throughout the story of Exodus, God has been continually providing for Israel. He brought them out of slavery from Egypt. He's been giving them manna from heaven every day. And he's even been providing a way for them, for him to dwell with his people. And this is because of a promise that he made to their ancestor, Abraham. And we see this promise that um, that Moses calls to from the top of the mountain in the section before this. If we look at verse 13 in this section, where it says, where Moses is talking to to God, and he says, Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You swore to them by yourself and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars, and I will give your offspring all this land that I have promised, and they will inherit it forever. So this plan to save Israel has been in the works for a long time. After... 400 years of slavery in Egypt, they're finally on their way to the land that God has promised to them. And after God frees them, he makes a new covenant with Israel. This agreement between God and Israel meant that they would be his people and he would be their God. And Israel agreed to this covenant in Exodus 24:7, when Moses presents the law to Israel, And they responded with, we will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. And so in this section, we see Moses bringing these tablets down that are the tablets of these commands that Israel is agreeing to do. And these tablets are a representation of the promise that God has made with his people. And we'll look at verses 15 and 16, which tells us, then Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, inscribed front and back. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. So these tablets weren't Moses' notes as he's up on the mountain writing these things. They're not his interpretation of what's going on. These are the very Words of God himself. And they also represent the promise that's happening here, the vows that Israel made to God and the vows that God made to Israel. This is very similar to the way that a wedding wing represents the promises that a bride and a groom make to each other on their wedding day. And then we get to verse 19 where it tells us, as he approached the camp... And saw the calf and the dancing, Moses became enraged and threw the tablets out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain. So Moses was so angry about what was happening that he takes these tablets that were probably one of the most valuable pieces of literature ever written and he breaks them in front of all of Israel. He waits till he gets to the bottom of the mountain to do this. And he does this to show them the seriousness of what they've done. They have broken the vows that they have made to God. They have committed spiritual adultery against their God. Their relationship has been shattered, just like these tablets. They had broken God's commandments, and they had even broken they had denied the works that God had done for them. Because if you go back to Exodus 20 and you look before the Ten Commandments, it says, he gives them the reason why they should obey the Ten Commandments. And he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. But when they make the golden calf, The Israelites say, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. So not only have they broken God's commands to not make an idol, but they've even denied the works that God has done for them. They're effectively calling God a liar. Breaking these tablets shows that they have severed their relationship with the God who has made a promise to them. They've cut themselves off from his kindness to them. And the second thing that Moses does, which is a little strange in this section, is we see that he breaks up the calf and crushes it into a powder and makes them drink it. And this is one of those parts of the Bible that was a little strange for me. Like, I, I don't really know what's going on here. <laughs> Some kind of a golden calf milkshake kind of deal. But it becomes a little more clear when you read of a test that happens in Numbers 5. If you go to Numbers 5, you'll find a test for when a husband suspects that his wife might have been unfaithful to him. And so when this happens, he has to take her to the priest. And this helped to prevent the husband from divorcing his wife with no proof of anything. So he takes his wife to the priest. And the priest is to take the dust from the tabernacle floor and to put it in water and mix it together. And she is to drink this cup. And if she becomes sick as a result of drinking it, then that means that she has been adulterous. And so I think that this is what Moses is trying to highlight with this, that he's trying to prove to Israel, you have been an unfaithful spouse to Yahweh. You've been an unfaithful spouse to the God who saved you out of Egypt. And what we see at the end of this section in verse 35 is that they did have a plague fall upon them, proving that they were unfaithful to God. Moses, in these two images of the the tablets and the golden calf, is showing just how serious of a situation this is. On the other hand, Aaron seems to do the opposite. Instead of acknowledging his sins and repenting, he just blame shifts. He says, You yourself know that the people are intent on evil. So he blames the people that he's trying, he's supposed to be leading. Then he even blames the fire, <laughs> as Earl pointed out to us. He says, when I threw it into the fire, out came this calf. Like he, it was magic, yeah. <laughs> and if you know the story of the Bible, this probably does sound a little familiar. Because if you go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, when they first sin, God confronts Adam. Adam. And Adam responds by blaming his wife. He says, the woman you gave me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate. He said, it's not my fault. It's this woman you gave me. And so it would seem that as Moses is retelling this story, he's trying to highlight that Aaron is following in the steps of Adam. But... When Moses goes up to intercede for his people, he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't blame anybody else. He says, oh, these people have committed a grave sin. He tells God, your people, the people that you love, have denied you. And they have rejected you as their God and have gone after another In your response to sin, do you sound more like Moses or more like Aaron? Do you make excuses for your sin or do you acknowledge it for what it is? In the culture that we live in today, we love to minimize sin and make excuses for it. And we can easily forget how heavy of a weight sin is. I can remember when I was young, I was in a pool with my uncle, and I realized I was able to carry him when I was like maybe six or seven years old, because it's much easier to hold something in the water. But then obviously when I went out from the pool, there was no way I was able to hold him at that point. Even though I was the starting holder at Canton for three years, I still wasn't able to do that. Sometimes we spend too much time in the pool and we forget just how heavy of a weight our sin is. And we forget that it severs our relationship with God. We say things like, well, this is just how God made me. Or everyone else does the same thing. Or we say, if you only knew my situation. But the weight of our sins hasn't changed. <laughs> our relationship with God is still severed. We've just grown numb to it. Sin is a very heavy thing. As I said, it's adultery against God. It is treason against the God of the universe. And this is why sin results in death, which is my second point. Sin is so serious because sin results in death. And so now we come to the most sobering part of this passage. Although Moses doesn't want to see Israel completely destroyed and he has interceded for them, he also knows that the sin that they have committed must be judged. And so for the sake of the holiness of the community and for and out of a jealousy for God's glory, Moses and the Levites kill 3,000 men. So in verses 26 to 28, it says, he told them, meaning the Levites, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, Every man, fasten his sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from entrance to entrance, and each of you kill his brother, his friend, and his neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and about 3,000 men fell dead that day among the people. Before I say anything else about this, I just have to point out that killing idolaters is not something that we do in the New Covenant. Our duty in the New Covenant is never to kill people for what they believe, but it is to raise people who are dead in sin to new life through sharing what we believe. However, at this time in the story of redemption, this was necessary for Moses and the Levites to do. And one reason for this is that the future of Israel is at stake. If the idolaters are kept alive, it would threaten the holiness of God's people, and it would threaten his entire plan of redemption for Jesus to come through the Israelites. So this happening isn't just for the sake of Israel, but it's for the sake of the whole world, and for me, and for you. They're like a cancer, that needs to be cut out before it spreads and overtakes Israel. So 3,000 men, which is about half a percent, actually, no, sorry, it's not even that, less than one-tenth of a percent of the male population had to die for the sake of not only Israel, but the whole world. And these men were given an opportunity to repent As Moses announced to everyone, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. So it was only those 3,000 men who chose to remain in idolatry that were killed. The second reason this was necessary was again to show how serious sin is to God. As we read in the book of James, when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So when Moses and the Levites kill 3,000 men, Moses shows the Israelites that sin leads to death. And this is what we all deserve for our sins because we too have committed treason against the God of the universe. We have said that he's not the king, he's not the Lord, I am, and we go our own way. And so we too deserve death. I don't think I can explain this section any better, and I'm not going to try to, than Tim Chester and his commentary on this section. He says this Moses wants the people to recognize the depth of their sin. This is why he and the Levites kill 3,000 people. It makes this passage uncomfortable reading for us. It seems so brutal, but sin is brutal. This story reveals the deadly seriousness of sin. Temptation presents sin as attractive and harmless, but in reality, sin looks like 3,000 rotting corpses. Death is sin made visible. How often do you play around with your sin as if it's your friend? Do you realize that this is the very thing that will eventually kill you? I think Charles Spurgeon has a great illustration for this, where he talks about having a tame leopard in your house. And you're often warned by others that it's very dangerous and you probably shouldn't be doing that. But its coat is so sleek and beautiful. And he seems so gentle that you let it play with your children as though it were a well-domesticated cat. And you, can't, you don't have it in your heart to take it away. And then one black and terrible day, it tastes blood and tears to pieces your favorite child. Then you know its nature and need no further warning. It has condemned itself by displaying the fell ferocity of its nature. He says, so with sin. We thought it such a fair thing. We could not be persuaded that anything so pleasant, so fair spoken, could really be so deadly an enemy as God said it was. Death always comes as a result of sin. There's no escaping it but how many times do we keep it around like it's a house cat? What sins have become pets in your life? And how big have they gotten? No matter what happens, when there is sin, blood will be shed brings me to my third point. Sin is so serious because sin needs sacrifice. So after Moses confronts Aaron and the Israelites, he makes his way up back to the mountain and he tells the Israelites, I will go up to the Lord and perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. And when Moses uses this word atone, It's a word we use a lot, atone or atonement. It means someone taking the place for your punishment. Atonement is having a substitute that will take God's just and righteous penalty for you. Because the punishment of sin is death, something has to take that penalty. We've seen atonement since the very beginning. We go back again to the Garden of Eden, when we have Adam and Eve sinning. Moses cover or Moses God covers them with the skins of animals. He covers them with a sacrifice. And in the previous sections of Exodus, we saw all the necessary sacrifices that it took to have a covenant relationship with God. But we see when Moses meets with God, he doesn't bring a bull. He doesn't bring a calf. He doesn't bring anything. He goes up empty-handed. And instead, he offers himself as a sacrifice for the Israelites. He said, oh, these people have committed a grave sin. They have made a God of gold for themselves. Now, if you would only forgive their sin, But if not, please erase me from the book that you have written. So Moses uses this picture of being removed from God's book that's full of all the names of the people of God. And he says, I would rather be wiped from your book and and be away from your kindness for all eternity than to see the Israelites perish. He would give up his own life for the sake of Israel, even though they were unfaithful, even though they were wretched sinners, even though their hearts were evil, Moses was willing to die for them. But God responds to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will erase from my book. Now go, lead the people to the place where I told you about. See, my angel will go before you. But on the day I settle accounts, I will hold them accountable for their sin. In other words, God says, Moses, sorry, you can't cover their tab. Your money's no good here. His blood is not enough to cover the sins of Israel. Moses himself is a sinner. He needs atonement for his own sins. The Israelites and Moses... And us need a better sacrifice to save from death and to restore our relationship with God. And so this is the point where we see the full weight of sin. But through seeing the full weight of sin for what it is, we can also see our savior from sin. Our sin against God is so great, it's so big that no one else can take care of it. And so he must send the crown and the jewel of heaven to come down to atone for our sins. Because Jesus is the only one who is able to outweigh our sins. By understanding the full weight of our sins, we're able to see just how great of a savior Jesus really is. When we truly see how much God hates sin, then we can really understand how much he loves us to send his son to die for us. Look at this, church. 1 John 4.10. It says, love consists in this, that because we loved God, oh, wait, no, it doesn't say that. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So sin needs a sacrifice, but Christ is our sacrifice. He's the perfect sacrifice. As we read in Psalm 24, he's never bowed to idols. He's never committed a sin. He has never lied. No one needs to atone for his sins. He's the only person that ever lived that never, that did not deserve to die. But he chose to die for us in our place. He is our sacrifice. Look no further for a payment for your sins. There isn't one. Where Moses was unable to atone for the sins of Israel, Christ comes and atones for our sins. And he comes even though we, like Israel, are spiritual adulterers. Even though we, like Israel, are idolaters, he still comes to us and he dies for us. You should be dead, but Christ has taken your place. He is your sacrifice. But not only did he die for us, he rose again for us. He was raised from the dead to prove that the work that he did was accomplished, that the mission that God sent him on was achieved, that he saved his people from the dead. Sin results in death, but Christ has defeated death. We look, he tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 20, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Death will not have the final say over us. We will be resurrected like he was, and we can even experience that resurrection now as we can be resurrected from the deadness of our sins We will see our savior again in our physical bodies, physical resurrected bodies, bodies that will not grow tired, bodies that will not age, bodies that will not grow sick. He has promised this to us so that we know that it will come to pass. Sin results in death, but Christ has defeated death. The news, it just keeps getting better but because we don't have to wait until the next life to receive these benefits of Christ's work. We can experience resurrection now. Our relationship with God was severed from our sin, but Christ has reconciled us to God. Our relationship to God has been restored because of the work of Christ. And I turn you to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 19, where it says this, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So, our sin no longer severs our relationship with God because Christ has reconciled us to him. We are a new creation. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our sin severs our relationship with God, but Christ reconciles us to God. So if you feel the weight of your sin, know that Christ is greater than your sin. He has removed the weight from you and has freed you from the power of sin and death. You have committed a great sin against God, but your Savior is so much greater. If you have never accepted Christ, come to him this morning and feel the weight of of your sin lifted off your shoulders. And if you have accepted Christ, come to him all the same and feel that renewed relationship with the Lord as he removes your sins. And just as before every football game, the Canton football players have a monument to remember, every week we have our own symbol to remember what Christ has done for us in communion. In communion, we remember the greatness of our sins, but even more so, we remember the greatness of our Savior. And so... We come now to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is instituted by Jesus Christ. By doing this, we acknowledge the broken body and the blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And it is a time of sober remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice. As the Bible tells us, he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And we invite all of you who have placed your faith in Christ as their Lord and savior and to come forward and to participate in communion. But if you're still considering what you believe, if you have not accepted this gift, I ask that you would not partake of communion until you have accepted Christ. And if you haven't accepted Christ as your savior, let me encourage you to meet with somebody who will be in the back, um, to pray over you, and to help you make that decision so that we can take communion with you this morning. And so what we're gonna be doing for communion, we will be coming down the outside aisle and then coming up through the middle aisle back to your seats, the two outside aisles here. And so during this time, we're gonna be playing some music um, as you consider this time and pray beforehand. And so let me pray our time, and then we will get to that. (sighs) Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as people who have sinned against you in many ways, Lord, as people who have much weight to carry, Lord, but we thank you so much for the work that you have done for us, Lord. And we thank you so much that your mercy and your grace are so much greater than our sins, Lord. I pray that you would be with us during this time. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We hope God meets you where you are and doesn't leave you, but changes you through the work of his son. For additional information, please visit citychurchpa.org.